such a gift of the church to uh, bring really high quality music into our lives. Um, and Allison uh, is on vacation in Maine. Uh, as we all know, Maine is a terrible place to be this time of year. Uh, so we are limping along with that. Alice and Christine, we're so grateful for you to fill in today. You are so lovely on the piano. Thank you so much. Nathan, you have such a gift. I hope you continue to lean into that and grow and um, bless many, many people for many years to come with your really fantastic voice. So thank you. Uh, if you can grab a Bible from there in your pew and turn to Matthew chapter 21. Uh, this is kind of a funny story. This one time I got married, uh, it was this whole thing that we did. And uh, Ronella and I got married the year, I took off a year between college and seminary. And at the time, I was living in the house of a friend. This was in the uh, time of the Great Recession of 2000. I couldn't get a job. I was making minimum wage. And uh, I had this college degree, but I, I, I could barely afford to survive. So it was this huge, huge blessing because they let me live in this house rent-free, okay? So I was paying nothing to live in this house of a friend of mine. And a long, complicated story made short, Ranella had actually grown up with this family in Romania. So they were very, they were very uh, close. And so this family of this house I was staying in, they were really invested in our wedding right? Because they had known Renella her, since she was just a little girl. And so they're all coming to our wedding. And uh, they have all these friends coming from all across the country who are also coming to this wedding that Renella and I are going to have. Uh, and so here, but here's the story, right? It's the day before my wedding day. And it occurs to me that this is like the last time I'm not going to have a roommate. Like this is, I'm walking towards my, my bedroom. Like this is, this is my last day uh, with my own bedroom. So I'm just really going to soak this moment up. And so I walk over to my room and there's a handwritten sign on my door that says, this room is reserved for this other family that's coming into town. So I'm like calling up a friend, like, hey, uh, I think I need to crash on your couch. And that's how I, I spent my last day before I got married. So I realized, you know, this is like, I'm not paying anything here. So I, I get it. I get it. But it was kind of jarring, I guess I could say. So sometimes the world that you and I live in, it gets moved around, shifted around, with or without our permission. Someone moves our stuff around, they didn't ask to do it. Our kids grow up, we grow old. The town we live in doesn't feel the same as it used to. Even churches themselves sometimes change. Lots of things change. So I want to tell you this really old story from the Bible happened a long time ago. It's a story about someone changing stuff. And people around town are changing and acting different. And uh, there's some grumpy old men on the sidelines who want some order and some control. Okay, They want to know who's in charge. So here's how it goes in Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 23. 
3. It says, Jesus entered the temple courts. And while He was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to Him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you this authority? Jesus replied, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I'll tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, where did that come from? Was it from heaven or from men? They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, we're afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Then he said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Thanks be to God for that very good Word. So, somebody moved your stuff. Okay? Right here, you're, you're actually looking at, at the last week of Jesus' life. All right? At the very height of his popularity and his fame. Okay? When Jesus had more likes and followers than he ever had before. And so, this, this little scene that I just read, this comes from Monday morning. All right? And if you look back on the, on the page of your Bible there, you'll see that this is the day after Palm Sunday. All right? The day after uh, Jesus rode that donkey into town, okay? And uh, on, on Palm Sunday, He rides this, this donkey into town. All these people are saying, Hosanna, right? Here is our deliverer. Here's the guy who's going to deliver us from our enemies. This is the new King David, all right? And this small-town hero suddenly garners big city fame. And the very first thing he does when he arrives in this city is on that Palm Sunday, he, he doesn't uh, waste any time whatsoever. He goes straight to the temple and he just starts moving things around. Maybe you remember the story. He turns over the tables, right, of the people who are changing the coins so that people can buy uh, uh, things there in the, in the temple. Uh, he turns over the benches that people are sitting on to sell doves to people that they will uh, uh, make as an offering in the temple. But that's not the only thing that Jesus is moving around and messing up on Palm Sunday and on Monday. Jesus is healing eyes that are blind. He's healing legs that are paralyzed and all these people all over the place, they keep praising Him and saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Like, we want this guy to be our new king. We have a king, okay, with the Romans. They've got this guy in place, but we don't want that guy. We want this guy. Lots of things are getting changed and moved around. Okay? Changed from the way that they've always been. I want to tell you a pretty good chance that actually when you read that story, everything that I just told you in Matthew 21, you just might be reading it from the wrong direction. Okay? So let me, let me kind of explain what I mean by that. All right? I think when we read the story, we have this kind of like automatic filter, and that automatic filter is that Jesus is the good guy, and chief priests and the elders muttering about Jesus on the sidelines, those guys, they're the bad guys. Now that is true, okay? I'm not trying to say that Jesus isn't the good guy. Just, just bear with me for a second. But when you and I read the Gospel, we, we naturally kind of want to put ourselves in Jesus' shoes, the, the shoes of the protagonist of the story. He's the hero of the story. 
And we almost certainly look at these chief priests and the elders and the, the Pharisees and we kind of wag our heads and say, you know, those guys, those losers. It's just how the stories work when we, when we read this. There's nothing personal about that. But the problem with that filter that we just by default put on is it makes us very unsympathetic to the chief priests and the elders in this story. And, 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 and because it makes us unsympathetic, it kind of robs the story of its power to change you, okay, and stretch you and help you repent of your own sin and grow. All right, so if you want your life to be transformed by this book, if you want your life to be renovated, all right, redeemed, sanctified, discipled, influenced by this book, I actually think you need to kind of flip that script on its head and see yourself less as Jesus and more as the chief priest and the elders. You have to see yourself in the grumpy old men on the sidelines. I am the chief priest and the elder and the Pharisee standing on the sideline, wagging my head, frowning and freaking out because somebody moved my stuff. And if you can get your heart into that spot right there, okay, now you have a story that's really going to speak to you. Okay, like things changing around you can be hard. When someone moves your stuff, when someone that you love passes away, when your health changes, when your mobility is pulled out from underneath you, when kids these days are saying the darndest, weirdest, things, right? When the neighborhood or the community decides it's time to build this new thing or tear down this old thing, change is hard. Change is disorienting. It's confusing. And when life happens and things change, and you and I want to say exactly what these guys were saying to Jesus. Hey, who said you can move my stuff? Who put you in charge? Who's in control right now? We want some kind of sense of order and control. We want the exact same thing these religious people, these religious rulers wanted. We want an explanation. Okay? We want some kind of explanation. So I want to give you kind of a working definition for this moment for the word explanation. To help you better understand what it is the chief priests and the elders and you and I are grasping for when things in life are changing. Okay, things are happening without our permission. So by explanation, this is what I mean, okay? An explanation is someone saying something that adds clarity or subtracts mystery. Okay? An explanation is something that adds clarity, or subtracts mystery. Can someone explain to me why I'm sleeping in a sleeping bag in a couch in my friend's apartment the night before my wedding day? I need an explanation. And there's a very long line of people on the internet and on TV, and quite frankly all around you, that would love to give you an explanation. People are really happy to tell you why you're not doing life right. People are lined up to tell you how to be a better parent, how to be a better spouse, how to be a better Christian, how to eat better, exercise better. Here's my favorite one. I know you've all heard this one. 
uh, you probably heard it between here and when you woke up this morning. People are happy to give you this explanation. The problem with the world today is dot, dot, dot. Like everyone has that one, right? And it changes month by month. Everyone has their own explanations, and they're happy to share them. And that is exactly what the chief priests and the elders come to Jesus to ask for. And that is, and the way that Jesus answers their question is just absolutely awful. I mean, if Jesus wanted to gain a whole lot of followers on TikTok, okay, or cable news, he would have been doomed. He really shot himself in the foot here, okay? He just totally wasted a great opportunity, okay? Uh, because look at the explanation that he gives these guys who are hungry for one. He says, I will not tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. In other words, you don't get an explanation. Jesus is saying, look, you can trust me if you want, if you choose to. But I ain't giving you no explanation of what's going on around here. I will not tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Y'all remember 9-11, COVID-19? Someone was definitely moving your stuff, right? The world changed in an instant. Your life changed in an instant. And you didn't get to like vote about it. You could complain about it all you wanted. No one was going to listen. It didn't matter. Everything changed. We all wanted some sense of order and control, didn't we? We wanted to know why things were happening the way they were. We needed to know something so we could regain some, some kind of story, some kind of narrative, so we could regain some kind of sense of control in our life. We were hungry for someone to tell us something that would subtract the mystery and add some clarity Add some, some, some soothing clarity. Doesn't it kind of feels good, right, when things become clear? And that's a lot like how these religious leaders felt. Jesus, man, Jesus said you're not going to get an explanation this time. I'm not here to subtract mystery from the human experience. That's not what I came to do. It's jarring, it's jolting. I mean, you, you just want religion to give you some kind of an interpretation of all the things that are happening in the world. You want someone to interpret the signs of the times for you. You want religion to subtract some mystery, okay, add some clarity. And there is no shortage of religious people and religious leaders who will do precisely that kind of thing. They'll do the exact opposite of what Jesus is doing. They'll break everything down for you. They'll give you some really good explanations for what the problem with the world today is. Why God allowed this person you love to die. Why God did this to you. Or why God did this to this whole nation of people. They'll explain how you know this character in the news lines up with this Bible prophecy from this little Bible verse. And this thing happening in the news that lines up with this thing happening in this Bible verse. But what you see in this story right here on the actual page of the actual Bible is that Jesus isn't going to give you an explanation. Jesus isn't in the explanation business. In fact, Jesus has something a lot more important to give to these priests and elders if they will take it. 
And Jesus has something a lot more important to give to you if you will receive it. Okay? Something ha- Jesus has something better than what all the talking heads on, on cable news and social media, all their offering is so much better, even though it's a lot scarier. And that is this. Are you ready for it? It's trust. It's trust. Trust is really, really hard. Trust is the thing for Jesus. That's it. Jesus wants to give you trust in Him. Trust in God. His greatest desire for you is not for like the circumstances of your life to, to, to line up exactly the way you want them. Okay? Jesus' greatest desire for you and for your life is for your character, your inner character, to be molded and shaped into the image of Jesus Christ. Sanctified, discipled further and further and further into the mold and shape of Jesus Christ who had such incredible trust in God, that he was willing to allow the bad guys to torture himself to death on a cross because he trusted that farther along God was going to resurrect him from the grave. Okay, and that is what Jesus wants for you. Trust right here, deep down in your bones, deep down in your core. Trust. So maybe sometimes God is going to give you an explanation for things, some some sense of order and control for why and how your life is undergoing all of these changes right now. Maybe sometimes God is going to give you an explanation for bad things happening in your life and change happening in your life. But guys, Jesus has something really that's honestly much bigger in mind for you than that. And that is called Trust. It's a call to trust that no matter what you see happening in this world, no matter how chaotic things feel for you all around you, how unsettled things look around you, the call on your life, call on my life, it's not to understand everything. It's not to understand everything. To do the thing that we so desperately want to do. That the call is to trust in God. Trust that God is good and God is at work. God is reconciling all things to Himself. God was at work in Jesus Christ. He was turning over this this temple that had become totally corrupted. God was doing a new thing in Jesus Christ. They didn't have to fully understand it. They had to trust that God was good and God was mysterious and God was at work in the world. And they could have trusted God when they saw Jesus moving things around. They could have made that choice. In fact, the Bible tells us that many people trusted Jesus when they saw Him in Jerusalem and in the temple. But they didn't trust. They wanted an explanation. And so what I believe... I believe that the Holy Spirit of God is at work in this world that you and I live in. God is always at work in this world. God is always up to something. Colossians 1.20 says that in Christ, God is reconciling all the world unto Himself. And the logical fact is that God can't do stuff. God can't redeem anything if He, didn't, if he never changes 
anything, right? You see the kind of the logic of that. Your task isn't to understand everything that's going on, to demand an explanation from God and get it. Your call, the call those religious leaders rejected, okay, but so many others embraced, is to trust God in the midst of it. Because when life and the world you're living in feels unsettled and unstable, sometimes Jesus refuses to give you the very thing that you want so badly. Jesus is refuses to give you to, to let you live with this naive certainty and simplistic explanations for life and for the world. And that can be hard sometimes. You and I live in a culture, okay, that will accept you as long as you have the right answer. You say the right things to the right questions. And the good news is that just isn't the case with Jesus. The good news of the gospel, my friends, is that it's not what you know, but it's who you know. The good news of the gospel is that you you get to say out loud, like to other people around you, you finally have permission to say, I don't understand all this. This is beyond me, okay? I can't wrap my head around this. You can say out loud, I don't like what's happening. I'm not comfortable with all of these changes. Because it's not knowing, it's not understanding, it's not what you know that gives you child of God, a sense of inner peace, inner confidence that your heart craves so very much. You just have to know Jesus. You just have to know Jesus. You just have to trust in God when it feels like someone is moving your stuff and making changes and you're in the middle of a storm. And so this is what I want you to try to, try to do today and this week. This is it. Two things. Number one, stop grasping for explanations. Okay, Stop listening to the know-it-alls like the people who are real argumentative and opinionated and, and really good at defending arguments. Just, just turn it off. Tune it out. Okay, Stop that. Start something else. Start trusting in God. When you see the world changing around you, settle into the warm blanket of trusting in God. Trusting that God is good and faithful and God will carry you through the changes. You don't have to see the whole picture. You don't have to have everything all figured out yet. But God is at work in your life and in this world in these mysterious ways and on down the line farther along. It'll come together. But until then, trust that God is good and God is at work. Find those people that God has given you to lean in, to, to, to love, to let into your life. Start trusting in God. This week, may you, may you uh, live and trust and let go of your need for control and order in the storm. Let's pray together. Loving God, we live in a very crazy world. And life is just constantly changing for us. So much change and transition. It's so hard to understand exactly how you are at work in all of these things. So today, God, we make a choice to let go. To let go. 
to let go and to just lean on You and trust in You. And in that kind of a balance, Lord, I pray that we will look more like Jesus in the way we treat the people around us and the way we relate to You, Almighty God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.